If you have your copy of God's Word, would you take it out now and turn with me to James chapter 1. Who is James and what is this letter about? Um, James is the half-brother of Jesus, so he grew up in the same house as Jesus. James writes in a very direct style. He doesn't beat around the bush. He's very practical. In fact, if you go through and count the number of imperatives that are in the book of James, you'll find 54 imperatives in this short letter. That's a lot of imperatives. That's a lot of uh, instruction for our hearts. And so this practical instruction comes and lands on us in such a way that we are blessed when we do what it says. His main thrust is be doers of the word, not just hearers only. Be doers of the word. The first four verses which we covered last week, uh, James reminds us that the testing of our faith, it develops something in us. It develops perseverance, which over time yields a deep maturity, a a well-worn maturity as we face trials of various kinds. God brings trials to us to shape us into his image and to conform us to his character. He does it because he loves us. And even though at times it's really hard, we can agree together, it's really hard sometimes to count our trials as joy. That's the instruction of the word of God. We can do that because we know that God is for us and because he's working his way in our time. But you may ask the question, how do we see clearly in the midst of trials? Sometimes the fog of the pain of trials, when we're in the middle of them, the fog just takes over and and we don't see anything clearly, right? Sometimes the fog of the pain, it clouds our perspective. We can't see clearly. Where are you, Lord? Don't you care about me? Do you see what's happening to me? We need wisdom, don't we? To see clearly. We need God's wisdom to understand rightly. We need wisdom. And that's where James leads us to as we look at his word. So I'm going to read. uh, Actually, I'm going to start in verse 2 and then read through verse 8. The bulk of our time, though, will be spent in verses 5 through 8. This is the word of the Lord. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him but let him ask in faith with no doubting for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind for that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord he is a double-minded man unstable in all his ways. Lord, we've just received instruction from the pen of James, which was carried along by you, by your Holy Spirit. 
And we pray that today as we look into the word that by your Holy Spirit, you would illuminate this word to our hearts. This is exactly the word that we need to hear today. And you have life in this word for us. You want us to grow through this word. So, so God, I'm asking that you would remove the distractions from our hearts. You would cause us to be filled with your spirit that we might see and understand and obey the word of God today. Because this is our life, the word. Help us, Lord, we pray together in Jesus' name. Amen. I see two main ideas in what James puts forward this morning. He's so straightforward, um, it's, it's right there. So, point number one, here we go. If you lack wisdom, ask God. He gives generously. If you lack wisdom, what, what do we do? We ask God because He gives generously. What is wisdom, you may ask? It's a good question. It's a, a reasonable question. What is wisdom? Wisdom is God-given discernment. Wisdom is the ability to apply the truths that we read in Scripture to the realities of our lives. Wisdom, one theologian said that I was reading, he said it's situational insight. Wisdom is situational insight that is spiritually derived, given by God. Now, what is wisdom not? Wisdom is not simply the accumulation of facts and knowledge. There are a lot of smart people in the world who have lots of facts and wisdom but ha- or knowledge but have not wisdom. They lack the ability to apply that knowledge to everyday life. So think of uh, you know, an Einstein-like professor who may have the ability to understand quantum physics but doesn't know how to get along with his wife and family. A person can even know a lot about the Bible and yet still lack wisdom. So when James says, hey, if any of you lack wisdom, I mean, he's being so gentle. It's kind of unlike James, given the way he writes the rest of the letter. He's like, if any of you lack wisdom, like who in this room would say, oh, that's not, I don't lack wisdom. Like everyone lacks wisdom. So this is his invitation for us to join together in coming to the Lord who is wisdom. Because when you think about the very heart of wisdom or the very epicenter of wisdom, what is the very center of wisdom? Well, at the root of wisdom, when it's all boiled down, wisdom is the fear of God. Wisdom is having a reverential awe of God. It's having wisdom to acknowledge God and all his superiority over all things. The one who made all things and does all things and governs all things. The writer of the Proverbs says it this way. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. The fear of the Lord is is the epicenter. It's the beginning. It's the starting point of wisdom. So if you want, if you and I, we want to be wise, then we'll acknowledge our Lord as sovereign, as holy, as the almighty God. We will revere him and worship him because he sees all and knows all. He is the alpha and the omega. He knows the end from the beginning. He is the creator. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. All the earth is his. He's made it. 
He is the one. So wisdom begins by rightly acknowledging and believing in God. Who is the fool? Scripture defines it for us. The fool says in his heart, what? There is no God. That's what the fool says. The beginning of wisdom is understanding God Himself. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So wisdom begins with a right understanding of God. And James helps us by describing just a little picture of who God is. We could rightly spend the rest of our days, rightly spend the rest of our days, exploring the nature and the character of God, the goodness of God, and we would never plumb His depths. Because his nature and his goodness is so unreachable, so unfathomable to our mind, we could never explore the depths. And so we just get this little glimmer, one, one teeny little aspect of God's goodness James describes for us. Look again at verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. Here's what it, how it describes God. Who gives generously to all without reproach. So, I'm not a Greek scholar, but I can read Greek scholars. And one Greek scholar said, uh, looking at this phrase in the original, um, it's in the present continuous tense. Present and continuous. So, it literally reads, He is the ever-giving God. Like, His, his giving doesn't stop. It just continues on because it... It flows out of his character. That This is who God is. He is the ever-giving God. He loves to give. It's in his nature to give. This is who our God is. And he loves to give to us. Notice how he gives. He gives generously, not stingily, not sparingly. He doesn't have to overcome reluctance to give to you. He's not reluctant to give to you. In fact, he's eager this morning. To give to you. Doesn't that encourage your heart? Like God is eager today to give to you. Like (laughs) I want to receive from the Lord. Whatever he has for me to receive. God is eager to give. He gives generously to all who ask. This is the nature of the God that we love. And the God that we follow. He gives generously. He gives without reproach. What does this mean? Well, we won't encounter an irritable God. When we come to him for wisdom, he's never going to say to us, hey, would you come back tomorrow? I'm a little busy today. He's he's never going to say, you know, I I gave you wisdom yesterday. Why are you back? I I gave you a brain. Why don't you just go ahead and use it? We're not going to get that when we come to God. He gives without reproach. He doesn't tire of us coming Day by day, maybe moment by moment, hour by hour, He doesn't tire of us. He loves when His children come to ask Him. He gives generously. Do you see the picture James is painting here of the nature and character of the God that we approach this morning? He gives of Himself. He is the ever-giving God. It just rolls off Him like a fountain that just brings forth beautiful, lush water, just flows out of him. He's a giving God. He gives without reproach. 
even when we can think of reasons why God shouldn't give to us, maybe perhaps some of the things we've done in the past, some of our sins and failures. Oh, I, I've done this. God would never give me something. No, he, he doesn't have to overcome that. When we come to him in faith, when we come to him, he loves to give generously to his children as they are covered by his faith, by his grace, and as we come. Now you may ask, well, why why do we need wisdom? Well, we all need wisdom, or as the one theologian said, situational insight, so that we can face the trials that come to us of various kinds. See, this, this uh, group of verses is linked to the verses that we saw last week. Sometimes we can see, be so overwhelmed with the various kinds of trials that come we actually need wisdom to walk through them in a way that, that honors God and, and blesses Him. And so this is why we need wisdom, because we face trials of various kinds. We need wisdom because we all lack wisdom at times in handling our trials. None of us is wise in our own minds. We lose perspective. We question, do we not? We question God's wisdom when, in fact, we need God's wisdom. Isn't that true? Sometimes in the middle of a trial, we can question, Lord, why is this happening? What are you doing? Have you fallen asleep at the wheel? We question God's wisdom when, in fact, we need God's wisdom. So when's the last time in the midst of the questions that can emerge in the middle of a trial, did you simply pause? Did I simply pause and say, Lord, I need wisdom. I lack wisdom. Lord, help me to see. Lord, give me eyes that are filled with faith, even though everything around me seems to demonstrate that you're not with me. Help me. Help me, Lord. Give me wisdom. Do you see James is is pastoring these people again? What's the context of the recipients of this letter? They've been dispersed out into different places, dispersed from their homes by persecution. They're struggling with perspective. They're bewildered by their circumstances. And because he loves them, he writes with a pastor's heart. And he says, count it all joy when you, when you endure trials of various kinds. Because you know something. You know that God is working in you. Building steadfastness. And that will make you complete and perfect. And, and by the way, if you lack wisdom, ask God for wisdom. Because he gives it generously to all without reproach. He's, he's shepherding them to the very shepherd himself. Do you see it? And, and God, by the Holy Spirit, wants to do the same thing in our hearts this morning. Because though we may not be displaced from our homes right now, we can all experience things that cause us to ask the very same questions that these recipients were asking. We need to have our held, hand held and taken to our shepherd this morning. And that's what James is doing. That's what God is doing through his word. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. Notice 
the promise there. When we come to God in faith, when we ask Him, He will give generously. It will come to us. Let us ask Him together. There may be something by way of application here that's, that's very immediate for you. You may be walking through something and you've not asked God. And so, I just want to ask you, is there a way you can write a note perhaps in your Bible? Is there a way you can stick a note on your, uh, as you're getting ready in the morning in your bathroom? Is there a way that you can somehow remind yourself and just write a note, ask God because he wants to give you this kind of wisdom. He wants to give it to you, but he wants you to come to him and ask. So let us together find ways to be faithful to ask. The second thing I see, second point here, ask in faith without doubt. Ask in faith without doubt. There is a condition in order to receive this wisdom from the Lord. It's not my condition. It's right there in the text. Look at verse 6. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. James describes the one who, who doubts as one that is subject to the twists and turns of feelings or circumstance. They are not grounded upon the rock of faith. They are like a wave of the ocean. Now, what drives the wave of the ocean? Well, the moon does, the wind does, all kinds of factors come together and coalesce to drive it up and drive it down and drive it sideways and even get those spinny things when you're swimming in the ocean sometimes. It goes every which way. That's the description of someone who doubts. Someone who isn't consumed with faith. Now, to be clear, let me state this as clearly as I can. James is not saying... That if you've ever had a doubt about something in your life, what God is doing, he is not saying, okay, you're disqualified. He's not saying that. If that were the case, none of us would have faith, right? None of us. So he's he's not saying you must have perfect faith. Because we won't have perfect faith until we get to glory, right? Then we will see. Then we will see completely clearly. But until that point, he's not asking for perfect faith, but he, as, he is looking for active faith. Believing faith. Faith that says, yes, Lord, I may not understand everything that's going on right now, but I believe you, and I trust you, and I put my faith in you. That's what he's saying. Actually believing in him and hoping in him. Yes, we will have doubts, We will have things, but what do we do when doubts arise? We apply the word of truth to those doubts. We slay those doubts with the word of God. The kind of doubt I believe that James then has in mind here, as he describes, it's it's a double-minded man. Look at verses 7 to 8. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord, for he is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So, what does it mean to be double-minded? I think to be a double-minded person is to be one who has not resolved to trust God. 
whether or not the circumstances make any sense to us. To be double-minded means that we might think it would be nice to follow God's Word. We might think it'd be nice to know what wisdom is. But we're holding out because we're not sure if we're going to like what we hear. And so, you know, I'm going to be double-minded. I'll, I'll listen to, to hear what God has to say, but, but I'm going to reserve the right to do things my way. That's what it means to be double-minded. To be double-minded means that our trust in God is not settled. Our trust is wavering. We might, we might not listen. Who knows? We'll see. That's what it means to be double-minding. It, it, it's like a person who's at the fork in the road, the proverbial fork in the road, and, and they're weighing whether to go God's way or, or my own way. And, and we're weighing whether to trust God or to trust our own instincts. We're weighing whether to obey God's word or to believe in our own understanding. That's the man, that's the person that James is writing to when we're, when we're uncommitted to following God, even when it doesn't exactly all line up. He's saying we, we can't expect if we're double-minded, if we're facing both ways, we can't expect to receive from God because that dishonors Him. When we doubt, when we're double-minded, what does it say to God? Think about this. In our hearts, when we're like, oh, I'm not sure, I don't, I don't think God is really with me, I think He's forgotten about me, like, Lord, where are you? What, what are we communicating to God when we say that, when we, when we express doubt like James describes? It, it, we're saying, in effect, to God, I'm not really sure that you're good. I'm not really sure that you know what you're doing. I'm not really sure that I can trust you. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just take a step back, and I'm going to waffle in my doubt because I'm not sure that you're worthy of all of my trust. James cares so much about his recipients, about these people. He wants to pastor them through their doubts and land them on the rock of Christ. Remember Jesus when he described who is a wise person? A wise person builds his house upon the rock. The foolish one builds his house upon the sand for when the rain and the winds come, which house stands? The one who has built upon the rock. See, faith honors God as the rock. Faith believes God and faith is required if we intend to receive the wisdom from God. Faith brings honor and glory to God. It magnifies His worth. It says to those who are watching, hey, that guy's walking, that lady, they're walking through difficult circumstances, but they're trusting in God. They're believing in God, even though it's not all tied up in a nice bow at the end of the day. It magnifies, faith magnifies the worth of God. And it honors Him in His goodness. The writer of Hebrews says it this way, but without faith it is, you say the word with me, it is impossible. Without faith it is impossible to please Him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. Do you see what James is doing? 
He's helping them to see, hey, you you can't come to God as a double-minded person, like maybe I'll believe, maybe I won't, maybe I'll listen, maybe I won't. No, double-minded people, you're not going to receive from the Lord. But when you come... hear this and be encouraged. When you come, even though you might have to be fighting with the doubts and and punching them down with truth, when you come believing in faith, trusting the Lord, you know what happens? He gives you wisdom. He gives it to you. He loves to. It just rolls out of him. Has God ever spoken anything that is not wise? Has God ever given any counsel that is not pure? Has anything come from God's mouth that is not true? Do you see? He wants to give us wisdom. And He wants us to come in faith. Well, what if we struggle, you might say? What what if we struggle with doubt? Well, we all do at times, don't we? What if we struggle with doubt? Is there an antidote to doubt? Dear friends, this morning there is an antidote to doubt. And the answer is called... The hill of Calvary. That is the antidote to doubt. Because if we doubt the love of God for us, if we doubt that we can really trust Him in the midst of challenges and various trials, then we just need to look there. We were the rebels. We were the sinners. We were the ones that had turned our back on God. And what did God do? When we doubt the love of God, we look at the cross and we see Jesus, the Son of God, hanging there. And what's going on at the cross? But God the Father is pouring out the intensity of His wrath against sin in full measure against His own dear Son. And Jesus is crying out in this agonizing pain. The Father turns His face away. And he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Never in all eternity past or in eternity future had that ever happened. God gave God so that you and I might live. And I say to myself, dear friends, I'm preaching this verse to me. I say to myself, what further proof do I need to see before I trust God? What what else can He do to prove His love for me than to die for me? Take my place. In my place, condemned, He stood. What further thing can God do to convince me that He is worthy of my trust? Dear friends, this is a call to faith today. This is a call to put our trust in the one who has demonstrated the fullness of his love, Jesus Christ. This is a call to come to him afresh again today in full faith, saying, Lord, I may not understand it all, but I trust you. If you love me that much to send your son to Calvary to die for my sins, then I can fully, not double-minded, not waffling, not maybe I'll get around to it. No, I can fully trust you in all of the circumstances of my life. The Apostle Paul, writing to the Romans who were also in the midst of a hard time, he says this, he drives his point home. He says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not? 
how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? God has demonstrated the fullness of his love, hasn't he? He's given us his son. And yet we can still struggle with doubt. I was reading this past week, uh, William Cowper. Um, He was an English poet and hymn writer. Uh, You may recognize this song because we've sung it here plenty of times. But I was meditating on this writing, and he writes in a way to, to reach toward those who still, like me, at times have doubt. And he writes to exalt and, and put the, the glory of God on display when he writes this way. He says, God moves in a mysterious way. You know this song. His wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon, what does it say next? The storm. Not on some placid sea. He rides upon the storm. Deep in unfathomable minds of never failing skill, he treasures up his bright designs and works his sovereign will. Ye fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds ye so much dread are big with mercy and shall break in blessings on your head. Lord, give us faith. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust Him for His peace. Behind behind a frowning providence, He hides a smiling face. His purposes, hear this, friends, His purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. Blind unbelief is sure to err and scan his work in vain. God is his own interpreter and he will make it plain. Dear friends, that was penned in 1773 by a man just like you and just like me. A man who was walking through his own valley and trials and difficulties and a man who was himself bewildered with uncertainties about where, the, where is this headed? Where are we going, Lord? I, I don't see clearly, and I appreciate his writing because he writes as one who reminds me, reminds us of the character of God. With unfailing skill, God is shaping you and shaping me into his image. He doesn't miss a day. He doesn't miss a moment. He doesn't uh, miss an opportunity. And I agree with Paul when Paul says in Romans 11, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and how inscrutable His ways. Dear friends, this is a call to faith. This is a call to trust. This is a call to believe. If any of you, and I'm, I'm going to close here, so worship team, would you come and join me on the stage? If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him.
Wisdom is learning to trust God and His fatherly hand, bringing trials to us so that we will grow and be shaped in the character and image of our God. We only see but a small part, dear friends. God sees it all. He sees the whole picture, the beginning and the end. He sees it all. So if God loved us enough to send Jesus, can we trust Him today when we encounter trials of various kinds. Pastor Arkent Hughes likens the convergence of the joys and the sorrows of life as God weaving together a tapestry of faith. God using the dark shades to accent the light shades. And, and sometimes when the weave is, is weaving and we're going through a dark strain, we wonder how in the world is God ever going to use this? And when God brings some bright and glorious note and we say, praise the Lord, we're walking through a bright and glorious time. Do you know what? He is weaving together in your life and in my life a master, glorious masterpiece. One day, dear friends, hear this, one day we will see, though that may not be today, but one day we will see what God was doing and we will say, oh Lord, you're good. He says it this way, Kent Hughes, he says, in this life we will never fully understand the particular blending of joys and woes in our lives Because we see only the underside of the tapestry. Only when death stills the loom and we stand before God will He turn the canvas over and allow us to our eternal delight to see what He's done. Isn't that a hopeful word this morning? We can trust God, we can believe God. We cannot be double-minded, but trust Him in faith for all He brings. Let me read again these verses, and then we'll pray. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Would you stand and pray with me now as we close? Oh Lord, grant us faith. Grant us belief. In the moment when doubts come in, when we wonder what you're doing, when we don't see clearly, Lord, grant us faith. Grant us to trust you. May we not waver around wondering whether you're good or not. Wondering whether to trust you. Lord, build faith in our hearts. So that as we ask you for wisdom, it just flows. 
and it comes to us because you love to give it. You love to provide everything that we need. And so, Lord, we pray, give us eyes of faith. Give us hearts that believe. In spite of our circumstances, give us this faith, we pray. We ask together. In Jesus' name, amen.